Ephesians 1, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, in the, in, in the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. Thank you, Bobby. Like Bobby said, that's a, um, it's a powerful passage. It's long and it's a little bit hard to grasp. Um, you have to yourself mid, um, mid-reading, kind of think, what, what did he just say? It's, it's kind, of, kind of wordy, but um, we're going to break it down. We're going to look at it together. But thank you, Bobby, for doing that. Do you ever forget that you're a Christian? I don't mean like you go and just like join another religion or like stop just going to church or become an atheist or anything, but do you ever just in the busyness of your life, in the distraction of yourself or the, just the work you're doing with your family or your hobbies, do you ever just forget about the things of God? Sometimes I do. I think for most of us, if we're honest, there's times that we don't really live like God is God. We don't really live like we're servants of the eternal king of creation, that we're people who are bought with a price, and Christ died for Is that me? I think it's the rain. The rain's making it click. Um, but sometimes we just we forget what God has done and what God is doing in our lives, and not just in our lives, but in the world around us. I think it is me when I move too much. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose the coat. Um, this is more my style, anyways. Um, I didn't mention this. I got caught up in, in all this. Pastor Brian is in Covington. I'll put my coat in Brian's chair. Um, Brian is is preaching in Covington for one of his dear friends, um, Pastor Jason, who's preached here. Um, so that's where Brian is, and that's why I'm blessed to do this. Um, I think I think that did it, Neil. See, that's what I get for trying to impress you guys with my, with my new coat. 
Um, but what I was saying is, you know, there's times where I, I said, do you ever forget that your, your role in, in God's kingdom? Um, do you ever forget um, what God has done and, and what God is doing around us? Not that we're going to go just in total um, rebellion or total just 180 leaving the church, but in the busyness of our lives, in the business of even the good things that we do, maybe the service or maybe our families or maybe just trying to, to get by, we kind of lose sight of the most important thing. We lose sight of what God um, wants out of our lives. And what that thing is, Paul's going to show us, is that we would live our lives with an attitude, with a mindset, with a, a focus of praising God. The, our breath, that our life, that our waking up, our going to bed, our living our days, is focused and rooted in praising God for who He is and what He's done. And that's what Bobby just read to us. Bobby read this beautiful um, 12 verse, two paragraph, one sentence plea of Paul saying, don't forget, don't forget what God has done. Paul is writing to Christians, even though they lived in the first century, that weren't unlike us. Um, they know that they love God. They know that they've done incredible things for God, um, but who maybe because of being busy, maybe because, and this is one for us, because they've been financially blessed or they've been comfortable for a long part of their life, they don't recognize, hey, I really need God every day. Hey, I need to depend on God. Maybe because of whatever their life situation is, they, they just don't feel like they have to have God every single second. They kind of take God for granted. And if we're not careful, that can do kind of a, a gut check on us, and we can say, hey, that's, that's me more often than not. More often than not, if you look at my heart and my desires and my passions in my day-to-day living, do I look that much different than someone who's not had an encounter with, with Christ? Do I look that much different than someone who's not been purchased with Christ's blood? Sometimes we and sometimes they care more about the worldly stuff than we do about God's work in our lives, in our church, and in our community. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. How does Paul respond to their neglect? Bobby read it for us, and we've heard it before. Does Paul get mad? No. Does Paul chastise? No. Maybe he does like we like to do, and he, he lays on the guilt and the shame and says, you guys, you should know better. You should just, I can't, I can't believe you would do that. No. Does he make threats? No. How does Paul respond to the Ephesians? How does Paul respond to us when we find ourselves just distracted? Maybe it's spiritual laziness. Maybe it's just um, getting our minds on something else. How does Paul respond to us Whenever we lose sight of what really matters, Paul sends them a letter. He sends them a letter from prison, which ends up being a mixture of almost like a love letter and like a legal debate. And he just says, don't forget that you're part of something bigger. Don't forget where you've come from and don't forget what you've been called to. Don't forget that your identity isn't Christ. There's more important things than living a comfortable life. There's more important things than living a happy life. There's more important things than getting on and being successful and just looking back and saying, hey, that was a nice little thing I did. There's something bigger than you could ever imagine that God has done in eternity past, that God is doing today and tomorrow and yesterday right in our present circumstance, and that God is doing in eternity future. There's something bigger that you're part of. And he just says, hey, don't forget. It's a wonderful, poetic it's a rich introduction to the whole book. And I'd implore you, you can read the whole book of Ephesians. We don't have to stay in chapter 1. When you get home, Ephesians is 
five chapters. It'll take you maybe an hour or less to read the whole thing. Um, but this is the introduction to it. Um, and what he's saying is, remember what God has done and align your hearts properly. Uh, the theme of this sermon, the kind of the title of this whole thing is that the gift praises the giver. Um, he's going to go through almost like a shotgun blast of theology. And as we read it, I'm going to try not to get lost in the little different sections. Um, if you think about it this way, he's, he's going from past to present to future. And he's telling one long story of look at God's story in your life. Um, the gifts that he's given us. There's probably, if you counted, there's probably 20 things that he says, God did this, and God did this, and God did this, and God did this. Uh, we're not going to hit all 20 real deep because we'd be here till next Sunday. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going we're to look at this theme of what have, are the gifts that God has given us and what, how does that help us to praise him? He didn't give us gifts so that we just feel good about ourselves. He gave us gifts because the gifts praise the giver. So keep that theme running through your mind as we go. Um, it's 12 verses. It's one sentence. Um, it's, it's passionate. Um, so let's break it down and just, and just see where it is. Um, what we want to do is kind of glimpse some of these aha moments. Um, there's a good chance that as we read this and as we kind of break them all down, you might have heard every single one of these things before. It might not be new, like, oh, I never knew that before. And that's the point. Paul is saying, like, hey, you've, you've forgotten what you used to be so excited about. You've forgotten what used to be your driving force. You've kind of taken it for granted. Um, so that's what we're looking at. Um, I'm going to actually start by doing something different. And when I do this, sometimes people get mad at me, but it's okay. Um, I'm going to, you know, Bobby read it out of the, um, I believe the ESV is what we read. And it's beautiful. It's, it's good. Um, I'm going to read it out of a, a paraphrase. And um, this is just a, a paraphrase translation. It's called the message. But um, listen to it without the, the, um, the, I don't know, listen to it in the, I guess the layman's terms is what I would say. Listen to it uh, without getting caught up in, hey, what's that word mean? What's that? You know, I got to Google that term. Um, listen to it as, as just a, a flow, and then maybe you'll get, get that picture. Listen for the past, the present, and the future. Um, he says, how blessed is God, and what a blessing he is. Remember what I said about the, the gift praising the giver? Paul anchors its beginning and end in, in blessing God, praising God. How blessed is God, and, and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and made holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved Son. Because of the sacrifices of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We are a free people, free of penalties and free of punishments, um, chalked up by all of our misdeeds, and not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took, such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything will be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. 
part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. And it's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed this message of your salvation, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This down payment from God is the first installment on what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. So he ends it with the same thing. He says, what's God planned for us? A praising and a glorious life. Um, The gifts he's given us are all rooted so that we would be built in that praise of him. And so we're going to dig into that, and we're going to give God praise for it. The whole thing that Paul says um, is, is designed to remind us that God is the one doing the blessing, and that in turn helps us to bless God. We're going to see that God's the one that saves us, God's the one that forgives us, God's the one that makes us right with himself. Um, if ever you were to look and say, you know, who is it that, that saves us? Do I save myself, or does, you know, does God save me? Who's the first you know, causing agent of that. This verse and many others remind us, well, it's God. You know, God's the one that brings us in that process. The reason that we're here, the reason that, um, that we're saved at all is, well, God's the one that, that took the first step. And that's what we're going to look at. So we'll break it down kind of verse by verse. Uh, verses 4 and 5. I'm now back in the, the ESV. Um, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Um, that we can be blameless and holy. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. We're going to camp out on that. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, and in love, he predestined us. There's that big, nasty word, the P word, predestination. Um, we're not going to spend our hours and hours you know, debating that and arguing that. If you wanted to, there's other sermons, there's other passages. In this passage, all Paul says is we're predestined. He doesn't give a big argument of, of why we are, what that means. Um, you can look at Romans 9. You can look at others and, and go deeper with that. For the sake of this, remember what's the whole theme here? The theme is the gift praises the giver. The gift is, Paul says, before the foundation of the world, God chose us and predestined us for adoption. He says this phrase, in him. Um, you see it right there in the first line there. Or in Christ. Um, if you read Ephesians, and this is a small rabbit trail, but I think it's worth it. Uh, if you read Ephesians, that phrase, in him or in Christ or in Jesus or in Christ Jesus, um, you're going to find that 40 times in this book. This book is five chapters long. If I'm not a math teacher. I was an English teacher. Um, but if you say 40 times in five chapters, that's a pretty high ratio. Your English teacher is going to get mad at you for doing that. Um, but your math teacher is going to be blown away by, like, this must be really important. Um, in him, this whole thing is rooted um, that it's because of what we are in Christ, what Christ has done, um, where our relationship now with Christ. So as we read it, look for that, um, that in him theme going on and on. I'm going to talk for a minute about predestination, and um, I'm actually not going to talk about it. I'm going to quote somebody else that's going to talk about it. Um, R.C. Sproul is a, he's a theologian, he's a pastor, he's an author. Um, if you want to talk more about R.C. Sproul, Neil knows a little bit. Um, I've got a book I can recommend. Um, there's probably a hundred books that he's, we could all recommend. Uh, but here's what R.C. Sproul says, because predestination can be um, scary. Predestination, if misunderstood, can be um, something people get you know, up in arms about, or they get, um, you know, they like to debate and argue about. Uh, but this morning, we're just painting with broad strokes. We're just saying, hey, we're blessed because he says it's here, 
and we're going to turn that into our praise to God. I'm going to read some of what Sproul says. I'm going to paraphrase some of what he says uh, just to give us a picture of what Paul is, is talking about here. Uh, Sproul says, When we set out on a trip, we have an intended destination, a place we hope to reach safely. Sometimes you might speak of your destiny or kind of your life, you know, ultimate destination in your life. Um, when Scripture attaches the prefix pre to that, pre means beforehand or in advance of, it's indicating that God has decreed a destination for his people. Um, God has planned out these things for us already. Um, Sproul says, Paul introduces a controversial topic, not to start an argument or a debate, but rather to remind the Christians of their blessing. Um, He says, in theological terms, the doctrine of predestination is considered a doctrine of grace. It's not considered a doctrine of anger or um, whatever else. It's, It's a doctrine of grace. Um, he says, this is Sproul again, with the doctrine of predestination, perhaps more than with any other doctrine, we are confronted with the depths and the riches of the mercy and grace of the Almighty God. If we separate our thinking um, from the context of that blessedness, we will struggle with this doctrine. Um, and then Sproul then quotes Calvin, so if you want to go kind of up the chain of you know, thinkers, um, he's quoting Calvin. He says, Calvin, well, he's he's paraphrasing Calvin. Calvin said that we have to be careful with predestination because if we misunderstand the biblical view, it can make God out to be a tyrant. And people do misunderstand it. In the biblical context, though, predestination always points to grace. And it always points to praise. What that means is, what's it mean it points to praise? If we're understanding predestination or election or God intervening in human history, that's what it is, is God stepping down and and working on our behalf in human history, um, it, we can't help but be caught with just, wow, you know, God would do that. God who's holy would do that for us who are evil. God who's holy would do that for us who are his enemies. Um, so it points us to praise God. That's all that Sproul's saying. Um, anytime there's an argument about predestination, we have to root it in this blessedness that God is acting on our behalf. Um, that's kind of what what we say about predestination. Um, but people do sometimes you know, get uneasy about it. Some people do get uncomfortable. And if that's you, um, that's okay. Uh, we can talk about that. We can work through it. We can look at other you know, parallel passages. We can get together and we can say, you know, what's, what's God really saying here? There's kind of an elephant in the room. And when you say it out loud, it kind of sounds like, wow, is that really what, what it is? Um, there's kind of an elephant in the room and the question that people ask kind of just in accusation, you know, does God enjoy sending people to hell? Like if God would choose one and not the other, like does that mean that God likes us and others to hell? No, that's not the picture that's saying at all. Um, or there's kind of even the other thing of, well, if I'm not elect, if I'm not one of the ones that's chosen, well then what's the point of even trying? Like if I'm not going to be one that's chosen, uh, why would I even want to live a certain way? Um, that's not what he's saying either. What he's saying is this whole predestination is that we are um, worthy of destruction. We are worthy of death. Our own rebellion has done that to us. God in his love, we see here before the foundation of the world, before you were born, before Adam was born, um, before um, let there be light, before the foundation of the world, God knew your sin and God loved you anyways. Before the foundation of the world, God saw who you were. God saw your rebellion 
He chose, he planned to step into that darkness um, through Christ, God's Son, and to draw us out of it. Um, That's predestination, that before it happened, God planned it. If you want to talk more about predestination, you can talk to Neil, because he's smarter than me. Um, You can talk to Pastor Brian. I'll talk to you as well. Um, But don't, you know, some people hear this word and they, they check out because they think, I don't like that about God. If you understand it properly, there's nothing not to like. If you understand it properly, it's a picture of God's work on our behalf. Um, and so please, you know, don't just hear that and think like, oh, it's one of these sermons again. Um, it's, it's a biblical word right there. Um, it's just how we interpret that word. But the idea is that God loved you enough to call you from death to life. Um, and we'll leave it at that for this morning, and then we can have more deep. If you're going to argue, argue with Brian. If you're going to just talk nice about it, talk to me. Um, but that's where we find ourselves. Um, let me find back where I was. Um, Paul simply says that God shows us in him. Um, God shows us in Christ. That's that phrase we see again and again and again and again. Um, that's the beauty of the gospel is that we are in Christ. Who's the agent, like we said, who does the work? Well, it's God that does the work. But let's go back to what the verse really says, now that I've kind of given a little bit of, of insight into it. Um, not only do we just kind of, as we know, have a God who's eternally sovereign, who's eternally holy, um, who's eternally just in power, we have a God who's loved us from the beginning of time, before there was time, before the foundation of the world, you were God's. Before the foundation of the world, God had a plan for you. Before there were trees, before there was oxygen, before um, the Garden of Eden, he knew that he was going to adopt you. And he knew that he was going to love you. Um, right here it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption. Um, that word love, um, if you know anything about Greek, is the agape love. Um, there's different kinds of you know, ways you can love. You can have romantic love. You can have brotherly love. You can have familial love. Agape love, all that means is that God, it's the kind of love that you choose to do. It's the kind of love where you make a choice and say, I'm going to love this person no matter what. Um, That's the kind of love that God has for us before time began. The kind that's undeserved. That's the kind of love that God had for you and for me before the foundation of the world. Uh, Verse 5 says that because of this love, God predestined us for adoption. Uh, Because he loved us, we were adopted. If you've ever dealt with adoption, you have an idea of what this beautiful picture is. Um, The church throughout history has kind of been a, a forerunner in the adoption movement. Um, I'm talking, you know, hundreds of years ago, not just right now. I know that some of us in this room have adopted children. Some of you are adopted. I have a brother um, in Texas who's adopted. Um, Several of you foster. Um, It's a beautiful thing when that happens. Um, We've got right here in our sanctuary for the next few weeks um, this fostering wall where we can see faces of kids that are in the foster system. We can pray for, we can support, we can donate. Um, There's not much more beautiful image of what the gospel is in the physical world, the natural world, than, than adoption. It's a beautiful thing. Um, I got my thing mixed up. But the idea is that, you know, what has God done in eternity past? God has adopted us. Sorry, I dropped my notes. Now I've got to find them. Don't mind me. Um, we'll go on to the next verses. Neil, give us the next um, 
the next bit here. Um, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. And as we said, like we go, um, what is the theme again and again? The, gra- the gift praises the giver. Um, and so that whole thing of before time began, and we're back in action now, before time began, before the foundation of the world, you were loved, you were adopted. Um, past, present, future, that's the past. What's that do for us now? Um, now the next verse, verse 7, please, Burley. In him, I told you that you're going to see this a few times, because of what Christ has done, not because of what you have done, because Christ loved you, not because of anything unique in and of yourself. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and all insight. And as you read it, you kind of think, that's a mouthful, Paul. He writes this in one sentence. Have you ever been so excited that you just can't stop talking about something? You've been so excited you can't even catch your breath as you're trying to, you're trying to explain it, and you can't just, you can't wrap your arms around it, so you're going, you're going, you're going. That's what Paul's doing. He's so excited about this redemption that God has that he can't even catch his breath while he's talking about it. So when we read it, we kind of, we have to stop and think, what was that even there? Um, because it's so passionate for Paul. Um, but in him, we have redemption. Do you know what redemption means? It's one of those churchy words that we, we use all the time, and then we think, wait, what, is it, what does it really mean? Redemption is really just to purchase. It means to buy, um, or even more specifically, to buy something back. Um, Christ has bought us. He's bought us back with his blood. I was talking to the youth group about this, and I said, you know those, um, you know, redemption, you know on the on the glass bottles, it says, like, redemption value, five cents. Or on the paper coupons, it says, like, no redemption value. And then they all said, what's a paper coupon? What do you... And then they told me I was old, and they told me that I was out of touch. Um, but redemption just means you can, you can pay for it with money. It means that you've, you've bought it. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, in Christ, you have been bought with Christ's blood. Because you have been bought with Christ's blood, your sins have been forgiven. This is all according to the riches of God's grace. Why did he do it? Because he's a graceful God. Why did God die for you? Because it is in God's nature and in God's character to be graceful. It's not because of anything else except that he is a God of love and he is a God of grace. And then we kind of think like, oh, that's cool to be a Christian. Like, I might go to church if I feel like it. I might, you know, pray to God if I have time. He's saying, you've been bought with a price. You've been the eternal God in fleshed came and left his throne and died for you. That's something to be excited about. And then we talk about the beginning, you know, but we kind of get distracted. Spiritual laziness keeps us from this kind of meditation. Um, kind of the idea here that we look at, you know, in the first century when Paul wrote this, um, this redemption is rooted in the slave culture of the first century. And uh, we know some things about, you know, slave culture. Slave culture in the Roman world is different than the American slave trade, just as you think in your brain. Neither one is good, not to downplay either one. But in the Roman Empire, it was not unheard of for a slave to leave slavehood. Um, you know, at some point in their lives, a slave could be given freedom in the Roman Empire. There's all kinds of you know, conjunct, you know, ways that could happen, and not to downplay it. Um, but there's this practice where like a friend or a family member or a relative could actually buy that person back for the sole purpose of freeing them. If you got into trouble, financial trouble, whatever, um, you find yourself in slavehood, I care about you. I can go to that person. I can purchase you. I own the, 
the rights to you, which even talking about is just a, a weird thing. Um, and the, I don't do that because now I want to control you or now I want more property. I do that because my sole intention is I'm going to legally give you back your freedom. I'm going to legally buy you into freedom. That's what Christ has done for us. Um, Christ has used his own cost, in this case his blood, um, and, and purchased you with a price. You have a document now that says, no, I'm a, I'm a free person. You can, you can legally say, look, I'm, I'm free because this person gave me my freedom. Um, that's what Christ has done for us. Uh, we have that same proof of purchase in the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that in the next section. But that's our current reality. We are saved by grace, by Christ's own blood. We're redeemed. What's that mean? That means you no longer have to sin. Um, you no longer have your sins held against you. When you do continue to sin, Christ forgive those too. Think about this. Your worst day might be in front of you. Your biggest sin might not have happened yet. And Christ still forgives that one also. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more than he does right now because he already loves you eternally. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less because he saw you on your worst and he forgave you nonetheless. That's what he's saying here. You've been redeemed. Um, You've been purchased. Um, You have this new identity. Your identity is not sinner, rebel, and whatever else. Your identity is son, adopted son or daughter of the king. If you're an outsider, you have to earn your place. If you're a son or daughter, you get a seat at the table. Um, Here's another little application for you. Um, We have been forgiven. We are redeemed. Um, We are dearly and costly loved by God. And so now our sin isn't our identity. There are those among us, and it might be you, it might be me, that are plagued by the shame of our sin. Hey, I can't believe I did this. I can't believe that, you know, that thing got a hold of me. I can't believe this addiction or that mistake or whatever it is. I can't believe that, you know, I'm so ashamed that I would do that. Um, Because of this, we can overcome it. The only way to actually stop your sin, the only way to stop continuing to sin is to recognize God's love for us. Your willpower has a limit. Your physical strength has a, an end to it. Um, but God's love does not. But on the flip side, some of us are approached with anger or fear when other people sin. You know, I, I can't believe that. Why would they do that? Maybe they sinned against me. Maybe um, I wanted something for them and they rejected it. Maybe they just, out of their pride, their sin, whatever it was, they, they wounded me. Um, those are real things. But we just, we we hate that person or we, we fear for that person or we're overcome by that. It's easy for me to rest in God's mercy when I sin, but I, I can't give that same mercy to, to someone else. Does that make sense? I'm quick to judge them when they sin. Don't forget that the same Christ who died for you died for me. The same Christ who died for me died for you. Um, if I really see myself as, man, I, I was dead in my sins, I need to be purchased then I should lavish that upon you as well. It goes back to what we said about the predestination that God's choosing us before. If we believe what he's saying here about before the foundation of the world and God's blood and all of this, there's no person that's too far gone. That's the beauty of the election and the predestination is that, that God's the one that chooses us. There's no one in this room. There's no one in your family. There's no one in the world who's too far from God to be saved. I don't know if you need to hear that or not. It's not my job to save myself. It's not my job to save my friend. I can pray for them. I can love them. I can point them to truth. But it's God's job to do that on my behalf. 
Um, that's why it's important that Christ is the one that redeemed us and not me redeeming myself. Because if God's eternal and God is almighty and God is powerful, um, then why else would I try to save myself? He's the one that did it before time began. The reality for the Christian and the hope for the sinner is right there. That Christ has redeemed us through his blood. He's forgiven us of our sins and he's lavished his grace upon us. And what does Paul say? He says it's rooted in his grace, which then is rooted in our praise of him. We kind of looked at the past before time began. We looked at the present of in this new identity. Um, That would be enough if we were to end it right here. But Paul goes on and talks about the future, not like next week, but for eternity future. Um, Look at these next few verses. Um, Well, this is part of the other one. But making known to us the mystery of his will, um, which is in Christ. And verse 11 is what I'm looking for, Burley. Um, In him, I told you that was going to be there. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. There it is again. According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Why is this going on? For the praise of his glory. But look what it is. We've obtained an inheritance, and it says later that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Um, We are a people who have a hope and a future. That doesn't mean that our hope in the future is in the next five to ten years, or in our retirement, or in our, you know, golden years. It doesn't mean that your life is going to be easy every day on this earth. It means that your hope and your future and your inheritance, he said in the beginning, uh, was in the heavenly places. It's in the eternal focus of the world. You know, we get so caught up in, you know, what's God going to do for me today? God will do things for you today. That's great. That's good. But that's not our hope. Our hope that's sealed with the Holy Spirit is the eternal inheritance. Um, We talked about the adoption that God gives us. If I have a biological son and I have an adopted son, they both share the same inheritance. There's not like a different portion or a different um, measure. They both share it. I'm told, I'm not an expert by legal matters, um, but I'm told there's even laws in existence which prevent you from disowning kids you've adopted. Um, If you've legally adopted someone, you can't just later on change your mind and say, no, I'm not going to adopt them anymore. Um, They're protected by a fallen justice system created by fallen humans. Um, There's rights given to adopted children. How much more when we're dealing with an eternal covenant-making God who cannot lie, who cannot turn his back. Um, God has given you promises that he cannot let go of. Um, The legal protection for an adopted child is a reflection of the covenant promise of our Father. Um, Because of the work Christ has done, you are a child of the King, and you are awaiting your inheritance. In the Gospels, Christ talked about preparing a room for us in the Master's house. Remember, this is, I'm going to go away, I'm going to prepare a room for you, and I'll come back, and it'll be a great thing. Your mansion in heaven isn't like some nice, big, quiet spread in the country where you just stay there and, and no one bothers you. Um, that's not your mansion in heaven. In Greek, the mansion is the Father's house. Your mansion in heaven, oh, it's the Master's house. Your mansion in heaven is a room in the Father's house. Your mansion in heaven is a seat at the Father's table. This is what Christ is preparing for us. It's not just, hope you have a nice life, and if something happens, just pray about it. It'll work out. God blesses us, but you've got something greater. So what's your identity? Before time began, you were loved by God. 
in the present reality, God has given you everything you need to be united with him. And when you face the biggest enemy of your life, death, God is with you there as well. There's nothing that can separate you from what God has done. And you may think, okay, that all sounds great. That's easy. How can we be sure about it? How can we be sure that we won't maybe lose our salvation or maybe mess it up? How can we be sure that this isn't just like, oh, that sounds nice. It's a kind of cool thing. You know, that's, that's cool. How can we be sure? Um, go to the next verse, Burley. Um, in him also, in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. How can you be sure? God gave you a down payment. God gave you a seal. Think of the king's like insignia ring that marks it with the wax and it can't be undone. You've been given the Holy Spirit as a reminder, as a helper, as a seal of what's to come. When you're baptized, when you take the Lord's Supper, when you um, do these things, those are markers with the seal of what God has done. If you ever have a doubt, if you ever have a, a fear of, you know, is this really a thing? Think of the God who loved you before time began. Think how he paid for you with his own blood. Think of the ways the spirits interacted with you in your past. Maybe the ways that you've been drawn to God in the first place. The way that you've worshipped. The way that you were baptized. The way you've taken the Lord's Supper. Um, and you can be reminded that because of God's spirit, um, you will receive your inheritance. You will live your life united with Christ. And you are experiencing currently the redemption and the forgiveness of your sins. So what do we do with that? Where do we land? Why did Paul take the time in a jail cell, writing to folks he loved dearly? He spent you know, years with them in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20. Um, he, he weeps when he leaves them in Acts 20. Why did Paul do this? We looked at the kind of cool like timeline flow, temporal flow, past, present, future. Um, we looked at the different kind of theological, you know, real broad strokes, theological um, terms, kind of theological history. Uh, if we did all this and we just walked out and said, that's pretty neat, you know, it's cool how God loves me. Or if we looked and said, hey, I learned some vocab words, um, what a waste of our time. What Paul is doing, what we want to do, is to look at what Paul says. He starts in verse 3 and he says again in verse 14, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who did all this stuff, um, who did these wonderful salvific things. And he says, to the praise of his glory. Paul looks at a word like preestination that might make us squirm a little bit. And Paul's blown away by God's beauty and God's grace. Paul looks at a word like redemption that we use as like a catchphrase or a churchy word. And Paul's brought to tears where he can't even stop talking about it, of what a beautiful thing it is. Paul thinks about this inheritance and this Holy Spirit and this eternal promise that he's given us. And he's brought to his knees and he says, um, to the praise of God's glory. Not to the praise of my own being, not to, man, I'm going to work harder and try harder, or I'm going to you know, finally kick that sin. He says, no, to the praise of God. All this is done because God is worthy of praise. Um, when Paul reflects on the things that God has done, he can't help but stop and glorify God. We joked about the one long sentence. But the only reason that you would write a two-paragraph sentence, a 12-verse sentence, is if you're so excited about it that you can't help it. Paul learns what God has done. Paul reflects on who God is. And Paul praises God. I asked you at the beginning, if you ever take the things of God for granted, if you ever kind of forget, you know, 
your role with God. Paul doesn't want us to. Paul wants us not only to remember, Paul wants us to live our lives built around that praise for God. The gift glorifies the giver. And that's my hope for us this morning, that we can be rooted in the truth of who God is, we can be reminded of what God has done, and we can together give praise to God for it. Um, Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who loves us. You are a God who loves us when we don't deserve it, not because we somehow tricked you into it or because you have to. Lord, you love us because you are a God of grace, and you are a God who delights to call us into sonship. You're a God who delights to adopt us into your family. Lord, we thank you that the only reason we're here is because you called us and you plucked us out of death and into um, your kingdom. I pray that as we conclude the service with worship and with the Lord's Supper, um, that you would draw us near to you, that you would bring lost sinners to salvation, that you would, those of us that have um, you know, experienced your grace, that we would never forget it, that we would live our lives as if you were the most important thing. Christ, and we pray. Amen.